Welcome back to Reality Asserts Itself on the Real News Network. I'm Paul Jay, and we're continuing our discussion with Professor Buzgalan. Thanks for joining us again. Hi. Alexander Buzgalan is a professor of political economy and director of the Center for Modern Marxist Studies at Moscow State University. So you, in the last segment, said you did join the Communist Party in 1988. Uh, Gorbachev becomes leader in 85. So what was it about Gorbachev and perestroika? What did that period represent, and why is it a time to join the party? First of all, it was very contradictory and very interesting period. Uh, we had transformation, and slogan of the 1980s, late 1980s, was uh, very beautiful. More democracy, more socialism. More humanism, more transformation towards a new society. Uh, acceleration of development, key slogans. Uh, 87, 1987, special law. Uh, we must, in Soviet Union, we must create self-management in all spheres, regions and production. This was an um, enormous, uh, unique experiment when in state enterprises, state enterprises, by law, was necessary to create council of uh, workers, of specialists with main power to make decisions inside frameworks of plan and to elect director. It was very contradictory experience because bureaucracy was uh, creating self-management. It's very funny, from above by bureaucratic methods uh, through terrible party and state bureaucrats uh, create self-management from below. It's uh, like a stupid contradiction. It's a new category of dialectic, I think, stupid contradiction. But uh, what can I say? Uh, and in this period, we participated as consultants, as uh, intellectuals. In this as process. you're teaching at the university. Yes, but uh, we created the special team, and we were working with a relatively small 1,000 workers and big ones. 100,000 workers. So give me a specific example of what you did, how they were trying to accomplish uh, so, this. Uh, one of the examples, it was uh, uh, enterprise producing equipment, uh, electronic equipment in uh, Lithuania, Riga. It was enterprise producing trucks, huge trucks, Kamas, uh, uh, Volga region. Uh, in Belarus, it was uh, enterprise producing watches, only 2,000 workers. Uh, in Moscow, we didn't participate active, but it was great enterprise producing uh, robots, uh, first robots in 1980s. Uh, and uh, the idea was that uh, self-management is impossible to build like a building, to construct. It's necessary to help to grow up from below. What does it mean, self-management? Uh, means, so, uh, enterprise has plan. But uh, then you can decide how so to minimize... state says produce so many of whatever you're producing. Yes. Well, for example, you must produce 5,000 robots per year, and you have such and such resources. But then it is not all your agenda. 50% of your production you can cooperate directly with other enterprises, according to state rules. Uh, but then you can decide how to produce, how to minimize costs, how to organize labor process, how to organize management, how to distribute. Uh, wage was fixed, but uh, it was surplus, plus 30-40%, uh, and this can be distributed by the collective. So how to control bureaucrats? All these were in the hands of the workers' collective. And it was assembly, assembly elect uh, council, and council was a key 
organ, like a council of directors in the stock company. Could you elect the manager of the company? Yes, and even director of the company. Yes. But who had the power, the council, the manager of the company, or the uh, party it representative? It was an experiment, and it was different forms, and the law was very not, how to say, not completed. Uh, there were different variants. When assembly of workers uh, elect director, when council had agreement with director, and director was like an uh, employee of the workers' collective. Uh, different forms. Uh, in, let's say, 80% of the cases, it was formal self-management. But did, did, in did, some did, cases, it was really working. Now, is that, that was my question. Did it work? Uh, in some cases. And it was only the beginning. It was two years of experiment, but uh, second year was in the period of the total uh, destruction of the countries. That's why it is difficult to say, uh, was it working or not? So Gorbachev brings in perestroika. It's another spring. Uh, the uh, bureaucratic system had was getting paralyzed. Uh, the economy wasn't very productive. Um, the, uh, you get excited by it, you join the party, and in the not too many years, you, you're, at, you're actually on the central committee of the party. How does that happen, that you just join and then you're on the central committee? <laughs> More or less. Uh, it was a fantastic story, and still the uh, majority doesn't believe me, but it's true. <laughs> uh, central committee, it's for people who don't know what does it mean. In Soviet Union, Central Committee of Communist Party was more powerful than parliament. So to be a member of Central Committee, it was 300 people. It was to be among the bosses of the country. And uh, the story was following. Uh, we had the opposition inside Communist Party, and it was bourgeois opposition, who then led to the collapse of the Soviet Union inside Communist Party. It was pro-Stalinist opposition. It's necessary to have, again, dictatorship and stop all Gorbachev experiments. Well, they argued that the Gorbachev experiment was naive, and would lead to the collapse of the Soviet Union. So, uh, Stalinist opposition did not say that it will lead to the collapse of the Soviet Union. They said it is the uh, wrong direction because it's not adequate for the Marx, Engels, Lenin, Stalin writings. Strange logic of thinking, but it was the case. Uh, and um, uh, we created so-called Marxist platform, Marxist fraction and Communist Party. And the idea was we do need more democracy, protection of human rights, uh, but uh, the road must be not to liberal model of economy, liberal model of political system, not road to the capitalism. It should be road to new model of socialism. It's nearly a revolution uh, from below with assistance of uh, maybe some bureaucrats, but a few. Well, Gorbachev must have liked this line of argument uh, to put you on the central committee. Yeah, not. He and Central Committee doesn't like this. Why? Because they had these slogans, but real intentions were not this. Really, the intentions, uh, who started this process? Gorbachev was maybe naive, maybe not smart enough, I don't know. But a real motor of all these changes was a young generation of nomenclature of party bureaucrats and state bureaucrats. 30, 40 years old sons and grandsons of the party bureaucrats from the past. And they had very simple and very terrible, I can say, very terrible, strange in English, I think, terrible uh, idea to change power into the property and money. We have power, but we have a lot of restrictions. Bureaucrats, uh, even on the top level, had a lot of restrictions. They didn't have big privileges. 
and they they couldn't accumulate a lot of private uh, wealth. No uh, opportunities to accumulate uh, a lot of formal ideological restrictions and so on. They want to be rich and to have real power without any formal restrictions, and it was real intention. And they were behind all these Gorbachev slogans, and they use these slogans partly for propaganda, partly to tell lie in order to realize their ideas, and partly because they had very strange consciousness. Uh, it's, uh, I, I will give you maybe an American example. If you ask any billionaire what is the main goal of his life, he will tell you to satisfy needs of the Americans. Without me, these 10, 12, 20,000 workers will not have opportunity to work. Without me, people will not have jackets. Without me, people will not have cars. So I satisfy needs of the people. This is goal of my life. Is it true? Yeah. Yeah. It's and true. They're, they're, they're and called, they're he's called the job creators. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's honest for himself. What is the paradox? His real aim is money, money, and to gain money and more money. Yeah. But he believes that he's creating something for people. He believes in this, or he, she believes in this. The same with uh, this cynical generation of nomenclature. But, but then who gets you onto the Central Committee? So uh, this is a funny story I'll tell you very briefly. Uh, we created this platform, and it was a period of uh, very rapid growth of social creativity from below. We published document with name Marxist Platform Program. And this program received extremely quickly big popularity without internet, by the way. It was it published. Went viral before viral. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, made in the Xerox, uh, but it's appeared uh, everywhere in, in party organizations. Then it was published in one of the regional newspapers, another regional newspaper. Then we made conference during three months, all this was done even less. Uh, and uh, after this conference, TV came because it was a real freedom of speech, real freedom of speech, not like now. And uh, then it was published in Pravda, and according to opinion polls, we received 15-20% uh, support of members of the Communist Party. And it was 19 million people. And what was the main point of the platform? The main point was uh, real grassroots democracy, socialism, Market as a form which can be used, but under the supervision of a democratic uh, social state. And the movement towards uh, self-management, socialism, and so on. So, so what does Gorbachev think of this? Uh, I don't know, really. But uh, we were not, uh, I would say, supported from, from the top. All right. So how do you get on the central committee? Uh, we were invited, three persons, we were invited to be members of the, uh, to be guests of the Congress, 28th Congress of the Communist Party, not even delegates. We were sitting on the balcony, this hall for 5,000 people. But it was microphones everywhere. It was a lot of press. And we were talking openly. And finally, we received the right to speak from the tribune to present our platform. And it was, uh, it's a funny story, I was uh, 35 years old and uh, last minute we understood that we will speak. And um, when I was running through the long corridor from the balcony stairs and long corridor to the presidium, uh, I had terrible feelings in my stomach. And when I came, uh, hall for 5,000 people, all TV stations from all over the world, not simply from the Soviet Union. It was open translation. Doesn't Gorbachev have to sign off to allow you to speak? Yes, because it was the requirement of the delegates. 
not to me, but also to Stalinist opposition and bourgeois opposition. And uh, I don't want to advertise myself, but it was four times the applause of the whole hall. After that was two interviews for Central TV uh, and the uh, portrait of Buzgalin in the main square of Russia. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, not main, but one of the main uh, on the agency, uh, information agency. And uh, delegates proposed to elect three members of uh, three representatives of Marxist platform to the Central Committee. One lady, one my friend, Prigarin, who was elder, and me. So I became one of the youngest members of the Central Committee. It, it was really funny to, after two years of the membership in the party, to be a member of the Central so what Committee. So what year are we in? Ah, it was 1990. So 1990, you walk in to your first meeting of the Central Committee. Yeah. You are there with the most powerful people in the country. Yeah, but really, so Central Committee uh, didn't uh, have uh, Central Committee had power, but uh, real power was in the hands of the political bureau and leaders. So we received access to the media and so on. It was very useful, but finally, it was too late. And uh, one of the plenums of the Central Committee, where everybody was together, and. Uh, uh, Prigarin and me, we had the opportunity to tell that uh, if we will not change radically situation, uh, Communist Party, Soviet Union will collapse. And uh, after that, when Soviet Union was collapsed, many people from Central Committee came and said, Bosgalin, it's you responsible. You said that we will be collapsed, so you it's car car, you know, you're not car car in Russian, yeah. But uh, if I understand it correctly, a lot of the Stalinists and, other, and others blamed the Gorbachev reforms it's true. for the collapse. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, collapse uh, was not inevitable uh, from objective point of view. It was not so deep crisis of economy. We had zero growth, stagnation at the end. In Russia, we have now, we had minus two and minus 10, so, and no collapse. Yeah, in the United States, you had in 2008, minus five and no collapse. So it's not economic reason. Yeah, the whole political system doesn't have to fall. Yeah, I gave uh, the image, you know, bureaucratic construction is like a steel bridge. Steel bridge uh, is strong. It can work 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, but then construction will be tired. No spies, no bombs, and then construction, boom, destroyed. Why? Because it was tired bureaucratic construction, the same with Soviet system. It was necessary to change radically system. All system could not work more in modern situation. But this is a long story. But it sounds like it, it wasn't inevitable, but the choice is either this democratization and socialism you were talking about, or privatization and actually capitalism. Uh, it was and, two roads towards capitalism, well, better roads back, yeah, <laughs> in this direction. <laughs> uh, one which we had, uh, the name is Shock Without Therapy. We received shock, but we didn't receive therapy. It was idea of shock therapy. So uh, radical uh, bourgeois transformation, which led to the primitive accumulation of capital, criminalization, feudalization, not, and so on. Terrible consequences. And the decline of uh, production, incomes, so real catastrophe. Uh, or it was choice to move in the direction of Chinese, let's say, model with bureaucratic power, but bureaucratic power was uh, self-destroyed. 
and interest of the top officials was not to have Chinese model where top officials again has restrictions, control, and can be arrested and even killed in the stadium. Yeah, the idea was to receive a chance for primitive accumulation of capital. Get rich. Yeah, get rich uh, and get powerful in another form. Uh, what role did the Americans play in determining the outcome? Uh, very big, but not decisive. And not Americans, but uh, I like Americans, by the way, I have a lot of friends among Americans. Uh, so uh, the problem is that uh, global capital and political institutions of global capital, uh, Washington, Brussels, uh, NATO, WTO, all these organizations had big intentions to destroy Soviet Union, of course. Okay, we're going to stop here. Yes, of and course. And we'll pick up the next segment yeah. and talk about this very, deci very decisive uh, yeah, period. Yeah. Okay, please join us for a continuation of our discussion with Prof Professor Buzgalin on Reality Asserts Itself on the Real News Network.